approach sex scenes from an emotional point of view. And um, I actually think the things that are sexiest about sex scenes are actually like I put tab A into slot B. Um, I really think it's like things that are unexpected that, that they find unexpectedly sexy about each other. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy, and it's silly, and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco, and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, (laughs) see what I did there, conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Beth Bolden is today's guest, a lifelong Oregonian. Beth recently moved to North Carolina with her supportive husband and their sweet kitten, Earl Grey. I love that name. I know. Beth Beth still believes in keeping Portland weird and intends to be just as weird in Raleigh. She's been writing practically since she learned the alphabet, publishing since 2014. Beth is the author of 22 novels and seven novellas. That's very prolific. I'm so impressed by that. Welcome, Beth, to Steam Scenes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited. You're my very first podcast, so hopefully I, I'm i not incredibly boring. No, well, this is a podcast of firsts because you are my first uh, MM, right? My, do, you, do they call it male male or is it MM? It is MM, um, right? I've heard it said both ways. Both ways, yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of interchangeable. Okay, okay. Well, Beth writes really fun MM romance. Um, I know that, like, I I know I submitted, you know, a list of questions, so these are going to all be out of order, but I totally want to talk about, because the one thing that just tipped me to you, and I was like, oh my God, I have to talk to her, was the food truck series that you have. And I was like, what an oddball idea for a series. And I fucking love it. So, I, I mean, you know, we'll back up and get to the other stuff. But I totally want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it kind of came about kind of accidentally, like so many other things that happen in life, right? The, the best ideas are just kind of ones you stumble into. Um, I, had, I had written um, a series... Well, first off, my second MM book did kind of deal with food. It was like um it was kind of like a reality show series where there was like a guy that got paired with um a chef, like a celebrity that gets paired with a chef and they have to like make it through all these challenges. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Cutthroat Kitchen, but that was my first like food book. <laughs> and um that was super fun. I loved writing it. And we had just gone so this is when we still lived in Oregon. Um after our wedding, we thought um, we should go to Napa for vacation because we can drive there and it'll be cheaper. Right. Um, what no one tells you is you buy, like, I don't know, five cases of wine and it's not cheaper. <laughs> Driving back to Oregon with your backseat full of wine. But anyway, while we were there, um, I had been looking into um, writing a series and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to write a series about chefs in Napa? And I really love to cook. So I thought, well, this will be right up my alley. So I wrote that that series about chefs, which is called Kitchen Gods. And these are like chefs at a really high-end restaurant. It's got Michelin stars. The the head chef um, is affectionately nicknamed the Bastard. Um, oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, his name is Bastion, and he's called the Bastard, which is a, 
a nickname he does not really enjoy. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sure he doesn't. <laughs> anyway, so I really enjoyed writing about chefs. Like, it was really fun. But the thing that no one also tells you is that chefs work a lot. Like, they work, yeah. like, six, seven yeah. days a week like 17, 18 hours a day. And yeah. I was like, there is no room for romance. And it, it was hard. It was really, really hard to find a way to like have them still work at, at the restaurant or like in other equitable restaurants and have enough time to have a romance. So I thought, you know, when I do this again, I should do this spinoff because there was a brother of a character that everyone really loved. And I should, he should start a food truck and food trucks are so much more like they're easier. Like there's a lot less pressure. Yeah. Um, they can work a lot less hours. It's a lot more flexible. Um, I was really thinking of it from a, how to make my life easier perspective. Um, and being from Portland, like obviously we did not invent food trucks, but we have definitely perfected them. And um, there's so many like lots that just have like, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 food trucks that just park there all the time. And I know that it's like a thing that's more and more cities are getting into, but like Portland, Portland, it was definitely really popular. So that was kind of how I got the idea of I should write a series about food trucks was I kind of fell into it accidentally trying to beat lazy. Um. <laughs> that's actually really cool. I have um, in my series, I just had wrote in a chef character in my last book who is going to get her own story at some point and um and so I was actually thinking about instead of giving her a restaurant giving her a food truck um simply because it seemed just so much more attainable it, it is I mean there's a lot of reasons I mean the nice thing about I mean, when you're actually planning a series, and, and usually I end up accidentally falling into them like I do with so many other things. I do too. Um, so I'm but, glad you said that. <laughs> um, but when I actually, I did actually plan out the food truck series, and I, I, I introduced a bunch of different characters in the first book, and um, they're all, they all do food trucks for different reasons. Like some of them, because they just really have no interest in like the whole kitchen hierarchy thing. Like I have a, a short novella that just came out. Um, where one of the guys, Alexis, um, he runs like a, a Greek food truck and he's basically like, I know how to cook. I don't need someone screaming at me all the time. Um, <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> right. And then, um, Tony just, uh, Tony's like the lead character of Drive Me Crazy, which is the first food truck book. And that's, that's out now. Um, he, he just really doesn't also, I mean, he also doesn't like being screamed at, but he just, he, he worked in restaurants. He didn't really do well um, in that kind of really uh, rigid uh, hierarchy of like, you have to listen to this person who listens to this person who listens to this person. And he didn't enjoy that. He also dropped out of cooking school. So he actually, he finds a lot of joy um, in like kind of the experimentation and trying different things and not having like a super rigid menu and, and not having like, basically he works with his brother Mm -hmm. And and then his boyfriend. So, I mean, he really likes that he doesn't have, like, a whole kitchen full of people he has to answer to. Right. Um, but it's been really cool to, like, kind of explore some different things and different reasons why people, um, you know, have chosen to do that instead. Because, like you said, I mean, it's a huge investment. Finding the money to create a restaurant from scratch is tough. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And you're absolutely right about the time. I mean... You know, if, if you've worked in restaurants, which I'm assuming you have. 
I have not. What? <laughs> I really love to cook. You're so knowledgeable, though. <laughs> I have done a lot of research. I've read a lot of autobiographies. I Some people will say to me, like, like you, oh, you must have worked because like, you get I have had a lot of people that worked in restaurants actually come to me and say, you got all the details right. And that, that is an incredible compliment because I work really hard to try to make it, make it accurate. Um, but no, I really love to cook. I, I wanted to go to cooking school and I'm actually really glad I didn't because I, I, it's something I enjoy as a hobby. I wouldn't want to do it as a job. I feel right. like that, that for me would kind of remove some of the enjoy, enjoyability factor, but no, I am not a professional in any way, shape, or form. That is so funny because, like, yeah, like, you're talking, just the way you're talking about it, you seem so knowledgeable. And I was like, oh, she spent plenty of time in restaurants, like, working behind the scenes. But no, that's not the case. No? <laughs> so, I mean, I do have a, I, I do have a question then because, um, you know, you write a lot of genres or themes because they're yeah. out, you know, um, with rock stars, food trucks. Um, so. What, what are you doing to research these topics? Because they are so different. They are so different. I actually had a sort of revelation uh, maybe a year ago or so, and I was like, you know what I really think why I'm drawn to like these three very disparate things, rock stars, uh, the, the chefs and the food truck people, and then the professional athletes, is they all have an ego that needs to be taken down a notch. I love it. <laughs> and I'm always like, I'm the person to do that. Just me. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it varies. Um, obviously, I did a lot of research for the food books. Um, you know, the food trucks there, I mean, I have talked to some people. Um, it's been pretty cool. Our, our neighborhood that we live in in North Carolina, um, they have actually started bringing food trucks in a couple times a week. Um, and you can, like, order in advance and you can go pick up your food. And it's been a really good way to, like, try a bunch of different things, especially during COVID. Right. Um, and so I've talked to some people um, that own trucks and have kind of like, you know, gotten some inside info, but a lot of it's just research. Um, the rock stars, uh, that series was a long time coming. I spent a lot of time uh, kind of researching the, the music industry and all the ways it really sucks. Um, that's not really a a resounding uh, marketing plug for my rockstar series but um really the ways that um the marketing and 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 the the push to be popular kind of contorts everything and 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 puts people in these very like little boxes and and the whole idea of the series was i was going to blow the boxes up um so and of course that was another series that just was going to be a standalone book and then that didn't happen in four books. Um, <laughs> seriously, a story of my life. Um, and 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 the football books I actually wrote because I really enjoy football and um, I know a lot about it and I really like write, reading sports romance. But I get really frustrated when I feel like the book has like a wallpapery sports background. Like, oh, I know the rudimentary. I talked to my husband and I know a little bit, and so that's how I got what I'm you know what's in the book but I was like I want a sports book I want to write a sports book that like feels really grounded in sports like right there's actual like game scenes and stuff which is really hard to write um but and and I I want to make sure it's right and so like sometimes 
I know a lot, but I'll like check with my husband. I'll do some research. I actually wrote a book about a kicker, which is not a position that anyone ever thinks about writing a book about. Yeah, I was going to say, that seems really unusual. <laughs> I did not know much about kickers. I didn't do a ton of research about kickers. It was fascinating. Like, they, there's all this stuff about them that you don't know and that you would never think. And, like, they just come out, like, a couple times a game and do their thing. But, like, otherwise, everyone forgets about them. I could have swear, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I could swear that I read somewhere that the, because they use the one leg, like one leg is more developed than the other. You know, did you ever I, read that or, I or did I, am I making that. that up? Okay. It would make sense though, based on like so many of the things that they're doing. Like um, one of the things I read that I found really fascinating was that they'll like go through the whole progression of like kicking, kicking off or kicking a field goal or an extra point. They'll go through that whole routine like hundreds of times in a row until like literally it is exactly the same every single time. So I would think that that would naturally develop one leg more than the other. I mean, if you're going to do that hundreds of times, thousands of times, I mean, I think that's kind of an inevitability, but... That seems so bad for you. <laughs> I mean, just thinking about like, it's a lot of mental know. pressure. I mean, it's not just physical pressure; it's like mental pressure. I know, but that sort of repetitive motion—it just seems like whoa. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So how, do, how do you do this? I mean, like the research thing. I mean, I, I I struggle with the research thing. I always feel. Like, I'll read a lot or, like, I pull things from my own life. Like, for me, I worked with bands for a number of years. So I have, you know, and, and in the entertainment industry. So I have a fairly good background um, with what I'm doing because with my – for my day job. But, like, when it comes – like, I really want to branch out. But when it comes to research, apart from reading things, I'm, like, super shy about, like, approaching people and being like, hey – can you tell me all about this thing? Because I just feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm wasting their time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it helps. Like, if I come to someone and I, I have, like, a very concrete question. Right. Um, so, for example, I wrote this book that had a Puerto Rican baseball player in it. It was one of the, the Kitchen Gods books. The other one was, was a chef. The other guy was a chef. And um, I was really determined that I was going to get all the details right and um so um I ended up picking up this beta reader who was Puerto Rican and um she helped me a lot like I did a lot of research on my own and then when she read the book she went through and she kind of identified some things that I could tweak a little bit um she actually donated her grandmother's um one of her grandmother's recipes because they make it together in the book. And I thought it was just a really cool oh, thing. And we became, awesome. we became really good friends because of it. But um, I think that people, people really want to help, you know, like that's the thing that I've learned the most is being an author is like other authors want to help readers are like dying to help. Like it's like the greatest honor of their life, which I still kind of find wild. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think it helps like to not say, you know, tell me everything about this subject. Like, that's, like, just, that's overwhelming for both of you. Right. But if, like, if you do your own research and you write this scene and you say, hey, can I just send this scene over to you and, and make sure that it's right, um, it, it really adds a nice concrete, like, there's a beginning and an end of the project. And if they want to help more, they can always volunteer. And if they don't, then it's done and you got what you needed. 
Right. Oh, that's really great advice. Thank you for that. Maybe I won't be so shy now. (laughs) So I guess, okay, so going to backtrack now. Um, You, you, it said, your bio says that you started writing, you were writing practically since you learned the alphabet, which is super cool. Um, So uh, when did you realize that, that this was something you wanted to do professionally? Um, well, for, so I, I was writing from a very early age, but I, I became convinced in college that I, I could only write nonfiction. Um, Why? I, my degree was in English literature and we wrote a lot of like analysis papers and right. stuff. And, um, I, I won't say that I got kind of brainwashed in this idea that like, um, genre fiction was not okay but um that was definitely an opinion that my my university had was that um anyone in the creative writing program like was not allowed to write romance to write mystery to write suspense like you could only write like super serious stuff and i was like wow that sounds horrible i i hate that (laughs) Um, i took like one creative writing class and i was like this is death to all creativity um so I, I kind of got like very like convinced that like I could I could write from like a removed point like like yeah. write analysis and stuff but I couldn't I couldn't write fiction and then a couple years out of college I discovered fan fiction and that's really where I I, I kind of was like you know I think I could do this but I really don't know but the, the beauty of it is that nobody knows who I am and if it's totally terrible then they'll tell me and I'll move on and it'll be fine. And of course, it wasn't terrible, and I didn't move on. <laughs> and um, that's kind of how I got into um, writing my first novel. Was that I kind of got bored with fandom, and it was kind of like, okay, time to move on. And I was like, I kind of want to write my own stuff. And um, so I did NaNoWriMo one year, okay. and discovered that that was the worst way for me to learn, write a book because then I had to rewrite it three times afterwards. Um, but that yeah, was, I can't do NaNo. I can't do it. Well, it's funny because now I'm like, God, Beth, you write like way more than that a month now. But back then I was like, didn't know what I was doing. And so I was just like putting words down to put words down and I didn't really have a direction and it was just terrible. No, for me, I feel like all of a sudden this overwhelming amount of pressure to get the words done. Like I don't like, you know, I know some people thrive under that kind of pressure. I completely buckle. I've tried it a couple of times. I've been in rooms with friends and I am just like the shame one that does like 2000 words for the month. Like, I'm just like, no, I can't do it. It just doesn't work for some people. And, you know, I find that like, so this was like back in like 2013. So it's been like, oh my God, like eight years. Um, I have changed considerably my, my habits and, um, you know, it's, it's now I actually find a lot of comfort and like I use this program called Pacemaker and I'm like, it says you need X number of words for the day. And that's very reassuring to me. I'm like, I'm on track. I'm going to meet my editing deadline. Um, you know, I'm, I'm moving forward because if I just like left it up to me, like I would do pretty much anything else. I would <laughs> do the laundry. I would probably scrub the tile with a toothbrush. I would, yeah, I, I really need someone to hold me accountable because otherwise it's like nightmare. It just really, yeah. Get done. <laughs> so I'm curious, what fandom did you start writing in with the fan fiction? Um, so I was an original Twilight fan fiction girl. Nice. Back, back in like 20, oh my God, like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, I did that for a while, and then I kind of got out of it, and then I did my own thing, and then um, I totally, so I wrote my first book, which was um, an MF, um, MF romantic comedy, kind of um, the sports book called The Lucky Charm, and I published that, and it did really well. In fact, it did a lot better than I thought it was going to. It would probably have been better for me if it didn't do anything. But it didn't, and like the the pressure was intense. And I I wrote the second book, and it didn't do very well. And like that was I I didn't have the, the emotional resources to deal with that at all. Yeah. And um, so instead of dealing with it, I got into another fandom, which was the One Direction fandom, which was ended up how I became interested in the music industry. Um, okay, cool. So that's kind of how. Um, so then I was in that for a couple of years, and I finally kind of got tired of all of that and was like, you know, I kind of want to do something else. And that's how I started writing again. Um, okay. I have a totally funny story about how I started writing MM, but I will save that for a later time. Oh, save that for the MM part. Because <laughs> <laughs> really, everyone asks, and they think there's like this deep, meaningful story, and it's like, it's not at all. Like so many of my other stories like I accidentally fell into it but, oh um, well let's just go for it let's just go for it now then we're, we're there we've opened the okay. can the worms are coming out let's <laughs> do this so um in 2016 I decided to come back to publishing I had been I had spent a couple years out of publishing and my friend who is um actually an awesome very prolific writer named Angel Lawson um, she says, wouldn't it be fun if we wrote books about the Rio Summer Olympics? This was in 2016. And we could publish them right when the Olympics are starting. And I was like, that's a really great idea. I like that's writing. That's a fun idea. Comics. Yeah, except I, of course, defeat myself like I always do. And I'm like, oh, I would really love this idea. But, of course, no one else would love this idea, which is that neither of the people in my book were athletes. They oh. were just there. Oh, this <laughs> terrible book. I mean, it's a good book with a terrible concept, and it did not sell anything. Um, it's about... <laughs> okay, we're going to do an Olympic sports book, but my characters aren't Olympians. No, no, terrible plan. Don't do that. I pretty much, like, so much of the time now, I'm like, what's my first instinct? Okay, let's do the opposite thing. It's not my first instinct, um, which is a lot of trial and error. So I write this book that's about this girl that ends up um, having to take her boss's place in Rio because he did something he wasn't supposed to do, and he ends up in this really rough favela, and he gets stabbed. Um, Whoa. Okay. Yeah, he gets mugged, and he won't give his phone up because it has, like, this recording of his interview, and so the guy gets pissed off and stabs him. Um, so she ends up going to Rio instead. And so she has this best friend that's um, a quarterback in the NFL that they have had this like weird relationship where he's had this kind of crush on her forever and she doesn't feel that way about him. And so he's finally like trying to move on and <clears throat> then she has her boss and this friend that's reading this book says to me, she sends me this message and she says, wouldn't it be so funny if the boss and the best friend ended up together? And I said, that would be so weird, but it would be awesome, too. And she was like, you're not serious. And I was like, oh, I'm serious. She says, but, you know, he's, like, he's got this crush on her. And I said, but what if he was bisexual? I'm like, then it wouldn't matter. And I said, I've never established what sex 
sexuality the boss has because he's barely in the book because he's in the hospital. Right. And I was like, that would be really awesome. So I wrote this book, which was my first MM book called The Rainbow Clause, which is about the <clears throat> the quarterback who ends up becoming hugely successful in the NFL, and he decides he has this clause written into his contract where he can come out if he chooses to, and he decides to, and um, the guy that writes the coming out interview is is the boss, who's like a sports journalist. So he goes and stays with the quarterback for a couple of weeks, and they, of course, fall in love. And, yeah, it's, That is friggin' brilliant. <laughs> it was a complete accident. Everyone's like, when you wrote, because, I mean, no one read the first book. Like, it was like, that. still no one has read the first book. But tons of people tell me still, I mean, Nick, Colin and Nick are some of my most memorable characters, and that people still say that that's their favorite book of mine. People still... Like, oh, when are Colin and Nick going to show up? Like, they, they have shown up in so many books. I've, like, genuinely lost count because they just, they always want to be involved. Um, it's 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 kind of like one of those gifts that keeps on giving. So, um, at kind of at the same time, too, is, is I had been, um, I had been thinking about my own sexuality and I had discovered quite late in life that I was bisexual. So, that was kind of like my big um, that book was kind of my whole big dedication to buy people everywhere <laughs> because a lot of people were very rough on him because he was bisexual and he's like, listen, this is how it is. Um, which was kind of, he was, he was my mouthpiece, but, um, yeah, it was a really cool book. And, you know, the gay romance community has been so incredibly accepting and welcoming. And I just, I found that I just, I really loved writing it and, um, I don't want to stop. So I have yeah. <laughs> I kind of love that you fell into it by accident. And that story sounds, honestly, it sounds brilliant. It really does. I mean, that premise itself is just truly spectacular. And I am totally going to pick up that book and take a look. Because <laughs> I'm just in love with the premise. Um, in terms of the writing, so you going from male, you know, female, male, more traditional, straight, romance to mm romance how did you was there a transition that you were dealing with or did it just come completely like natural um you know i think it pretty much came pretty naturally um i am very much of the opinion uh, that you know pretty much love is love is love and you know it really kind of didn't feel a lot different for me mm -hmm. um Obviously, sometimes in the sex scenes, you have to really think things through, like, you've, you've got to be, like, prepared, and it really opened my eyes to, like, a lot of people, and I have a lot of readers still that be, like, the only sex that really counts as sex is penetration, and I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> let's talk about that, um, um, and, and, and it's really given me a lot of ways to like explore like different things instead of, you know, just having like a traditional sex scene. Um, but, you know, really, you know, I did a lot of reading and it was already a genre I enjoyed reading. And so like, I, I feel like I did kind of did going back to the, the research topic, I did my research. Um, and, and I, I really just felt like it just kind of, after the first one, it never even was a question for me if I was going to write something else again. I, it was exactly what I wanted to do. So I kept right. doing it. Would you, are you still writing male, uh, male, female, or are you strictly now 
male male? I am strictly male male since 2017. Because you just love it so much. Yep. Well, actually, well, that's not. I did end up writing the third book in that trilogy, um, which I wouldn't didn't intend to do. And then, of course, as soon as I was like, "Yep, I'm definitely not doing that," I woke up with a really great idea to do it, and I was like, <laughs> "So uncooperative brain." Um, but I, ended I swear up, to God, our brains are the same. Like we're. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm always like, is it shiny object syndrome? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's right. So um, I think I published, when did I publish that? Was that in 2017? I think that was in 2017. So that was my last, that was the third book in that series. And that was the end of the trilogy. And I was like, I'm done. And uh, I haven't really looked back. It's just, I'm just like, I have so many ideas. I don't think I'll ever write them all. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So this is a little bit more of a marketing question than a craft question, but I'm really kind of wondering in terms of like your readership, switching from male, female to male, male, did you, did the readers come along with you? Were you, were you, did you, or did you have to find a whole new audience? I, I mean, it was kind of serendipitous because I had published those first two books in 2014, and then I'd taken, like, that really long break, like, two-plus years, and right. I had kind of let, you know, two-plus years in romance land is, like, an eternity. Yeah. And um, I had never really established a real audience at that point, and then, um, so that horrible Summer Olympics book came out and no one read it and I was like well I guess we're starting from scratch and I'm thinking well if I'm starting from scratch I might as well do something I really want to do which was at that point um it was to write that that book about um Colin and Nick and so I ended up doing that and I I basically built my audience up from scratch um okay. in the MM romance community um to be perfectly honest, I, I sometimes will still sell some of the MF books, but I don't really promote them or I don't really spend a lot of marketing energy on them. Okay. Um, they're there. They exist. People want to buy them. That's great. They're probably not very good. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing back then. I know. Um, I hate it. I started, I put, I think my first book came out in 2013. And it was an urban fantasy. And I don't want to say, I mean, I'm proud of it. I finished it. That's a big deal. You know, it did it did really, really well. Um, kind of like you. I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, and then I don't know. It just it, now I took a few years off because I wanted to get into romance writing and I just I had a day job. I just couldn't write fast enough. Uh -huh. And, and now I, I've, I've kind of like lost those readers, I think, which, uh -huh. you know, sucks, but I, you yeah. know, I'm writing in a new genre too. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if they'll love it, but like, I kind of feel the same way about my first books. Like, I'm like, I don't really promote them. I'm proud of them, but they're not as good. <laughs> they're there. They exist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, I mean, I do sell them still. I like actually sold I sold, I have the, the, the first, the three are, are in a box set and I sold a box set copy the other day and I was like, well, that's cool. I haven't, I, I mean, I couldn't remember the last time, but they're all in Kindle Unlimited. So I'm sure that, you know, sometimes I will occasionally get a reader that's very adamant that they have to read every book that's connected to every book. And okay. so I'm like, you know, Hey, I'm not going to stop you. And, um, 
they'll go and they'll dig out summer attractions, which is the real book. Cause they'll be like, this is where Colin and Nick started. And I'm like, well, sort of. They never actually meet in the book. But, but oh my God, so are all of your series intertwined somehow? I just dropped my pen. Oh, <laughs> yes. That is something that I'm actually like kind of notorious for. Uh, if I have the opportunity to use an existing character, I will use them instead of making a new character. Um, so uh, there is definitely, there has been crossovers between my Rockstar books and the Kitchen Gods books. There's been crossovers uh, in the, literally a book that come, is coming out in April, which is the second food truck book. It has all the football people and all the food truck people and some of the people. It has like, I don't know, a thousand existing characters in it. Um, that's awesome. It's like a mashup of all my books. The only people it doesn't have is Star Shadow, which is the rock star band. But that's okay, because there wouldn't be room anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's um, I really like, I really like, it's a great way to revisit old characters. It's a great way to introduce new characters, but yeah. pretty much, and, and it's kind of like, it, like one of those things that I fall into accidentally, everyone kind of ended up in LA. So everyone's kind of like in LA okay. area. So I love it too. Cause it gives, it kind of gives your readers little Easter eggs to follow, mm -hmm. you know, which I, uh, the peppers in, I'm trying to sort of do that with, um, with a new series that I'm breaking out from. Cause I just think it would be really cool. It, it, I tell you like my readers love it like a lot. They'll be like, oh, I was so excited to see X in this book. And I was like, yeah, I was excited to put him in there. But that's, like, Colin and Nick, the Rainbow Claws guys, they literally show up over and over and over and over. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they, they are never happy unless they get a scene, pretty much. They, they, they do have minds of their own, and they, they definitely... They tell me, I, I would like, I'd be like, you're just going to get like a little mention. And they'd be like, no, no, we're going to get a whole scene. We're going to get two scenes. <laughs> and we're in every chapter. Like, That's come on. Right. I'm like, this book is really about us. Who are we kidding? <laughs> because um, egos, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I actually, I made Colin retire kind of off page. And I was like, maybe that will mean they won't show up anymore. Nope. They showed up. They showed up in the, um, in the book that's coming out in April. I, I was like, I can't help it. Even though he's not playing, he's still there. That's so. great. So I'm curious, um, before we dig into your sex scene, I'd love to know to you, what do you think makes a sex scene good? Well, so I really approach sex scenes from an emotional point of view. Okay. And um, I actually think the things that are sexiest about sex scenes are actually like I put tab A into slot B. Um, I really think it's like things that are unexpected that, that they find unexpectedly sexy about each other. Like I have lots of sex scenes where there's like humor in them. Like they make jokes, um, which doesn't sound very sexy when I say it. Um <laughs> But like things that they find, they're just unexpected that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think are sexy. Like I, I was actually thinking about this scene. Um, this is not technically a book, but um, in Bridgerton where he takes her glove off or he buttons her glove. Or, I think he did both. Um, and I couldn't remember if that was in the original book because I read it so long ago, uh, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. But um, I was thinking, I'm like, that's something that we wouldn't necessarily think today is really sexy, right? Because, like, we see more skin all the time than we do 
like a hand, right? Right. But like that's really sexy because like he's getting to see something that he didn't get to see before. And it's like it's like taking off her public armor, so to speak. And like to me that's what makes a sex scene really sexy is when the armor, either physical or literal um or metaphorical comes off and there's like vulnerability underneath so oh I love that I absolutely love that that's uh, that's that's amazing um file that one away (laughs) so do you have a process for writing them do they come easy to you in terms of the intimate scenes Um, harder to write they're way way harder for me to write um okay way harder uh usually i have a sprint group and usually i'll be like guys this is a terrible thing it's monday morning and i have to write sexy (laughs) um uh, i think because i was actually having a conversation with a friend about this the other day she was she was worrying because she had it was like this she just written this like 50 50, word book and she was like i only have four sex scenes in it that's not enough and i was like thinking to myself, how many sex scenes were in my last book? I don't even remember. And I was like counting and I was like, I I only have four and this one's 85,000 words. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I'm maybe I had three in an 80,000 word, but I think she's okay. Yeah, I think she's, yeah, she she tends to over-worry. But, um, (laughs) and I say that with love because I'm also an over-worrier. But I was like, you know, I think that I try to approach my sex scenes, like I try to make them um, kind of like really important scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not necessarily longer, but, but more just, they feel like, um, a lot more vibrant with like more emotion and everything. And so like, I never have readers tell me, I don't feel like your books aren't sexy enough. Like I never get that complaint. I often get the other, the other, the other side is, oh, I think that book was so sexy. And I'm like, you know, it's funny because usually that's not what someone would say when there's like an 85,000 word book and there's only like three sexies in it. Like, but I, I try really hard to compensate for the number with making them um, really important and big and um, really come, the, you know, come off the page. And I think that's why they're harder for me, because I know that there's that pressure there that right. like this is going to have to be really good because I'm only going to have so many in this book. Right, right. <clears throat> Do you have any sort of process in terms of writing it or any rituals before you dig in or nah, it's just, you just sort of like grit it out. Same as any other scene, you know, to be (laughs) honest, I have a really good friend who skips all of hers till the end and she regrets it every time. Really? Oh God. Every time. So you're not the one that writes insert sex scene here because you're like, I just can't go there today. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that. To me, it's like I have to write in order. Every scene builds on every scene that comes before. I'm also a huge proponent of the fact that every scene in a book is a scene that has to be there. So something has to happen in that sex scene that is important to the relationship. And so I can't really skip it and go on because then I don't know what that is. And usually I have a general idea of what it is, but so much when I'm writing – characters will pop in and be like oh by the way did you know this be like no I did not know that actually um (laughs) that oh I need to tell you something (laughs) right right god funny story I was writing this book um called the rivalry which is about two quarterbacks that, that both are trying to be on the same team in the same position and uh 
one of the guys is a lot like tougher like he's just very tough mentally he's very contained and he meets sam for the first time and he just i don't even know where this came from like genuinely he i just started writing like he had never been attracted to anybody before and i was just like oh for pete's sake like we're not going there now are we and he just like insisted on it and i was like well i guess we're totally changing what this book is going to be like because i had envisioned it as some kind of like light fluffy oh locker room shenanigans type of thing which it did not end up being anything like that at all uh, pro- almost definitely hugely because of that thing that he just inserted. But I had not even considered that about him. And and that's what he said he was. And and, and um, so I decided that he must be Demi. And so we were going to go with that. And that he wasn't a virgin, but he had definitely never enjoyed sex before. And I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. So based on this, I'm guessing that you are, are you a plotter or a pantser? I do write a very short outline. Like when I say short, I mean like usually a couple sentences for the, the main beats of the story. Okay. Um, if I over outline, these things don't happen. And most of the time they're very good things. Um, occasionally they're incredibly frustrating like that moment was very frustrating yeah um i can imagine but uh yeah i i have to have some idea of where the story is going or it's just it just flounders yeah like kind of meanders i I, yeah i had i I, it's funny i kind of do a mix of like plotting and pantsing because i will do a really pretty solid outline and then all of a sudden, like, I'll move off. I'll just be, I, like, won't consult it. And I'll just be off on this tangent. And then I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> I have done that. Actually, the last couple of books I've written, I, I wrote the outline and then I totally ignored the outline. Yeah. <laughs> there is something very reassuring about the fact that the outline's out there. Like, if I wanted to look at it, it's there. It, it makes me feel like I'm not just, like, starting with nothing. Right. Um, so, but I yeah. Think- I think it's true, though. There's something to say because, you know, I don't I I know the characters, but I don't know them that well. So it's sort of like as I get deeper into the story, then I then I make these kind of realizations with characters where I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. Right. I mean, that's the thing is, is it like I do some character work at a time, but you won't really know someone until you start writing their story. Yeah. um, I've actually also done this thing recently um, where I'll write like the first half of the, of the story like in an outline form and I'll have like a very loose idea of how the end goes but usually that ends up changing and I'll end up modifying the outline at the end um, to kind of change what I'm doing and, and how everything comes together. Um, right. Usually there's a, at least one unexpected twist in there that I wasn't anticipating when I started the book. And that's if we're lucky, if there's only one, sometimes there's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to dig into your intimate scene. Um, this is from hazardous things, which is book three of the star shadows series. Correct. Yes. So, yep. yeah. So that whole that whole box that's coming out in next next week, the Feb the eighteenth. But you can read them on their own. And um, this is one of those series that, like, you really should read in order. I had some people say, "Oh, you could read number three as a standalone." Well, I guess you maybe could, but it really adds something to read the whole thing together. Um, but yeah. So that is book three. 
cool. Now, and, and Sh- Star Shadows is the Rockstar series. Yes. Can you set up the scene for us? Okay. So, um, without getting into too much detail, there is this band. They were a, I guess we could call them a boy band for the lack of a better description because they became famous very young and they were very uh, controlled by their management to be market friendly. There was two of them that were in love and had to hide that they were in love and one of them could only handle it so long and he ends up basically leaving and running off and no one hears from him for five years. Um, which is not the way to handle your problems, by the way. Uh, so the first book is about them finding each other again and the band reuniting. Um, and then the second book is about two other members in the band. And then this book is about Max, who is the drummer, and Felix, who is one of the guys from the first book, uh, his younger brother. Okay. So Felix has kind of been on the fringe of the band, but never part of the band. Um, at this point, he has... He's basically become, he started as kind of like their PA when they reunited, and now he's kind of moved into more of a management role. So he he's he basically is like the organization behind the band. Okay. And he has been out and gay for many years and has had a not-so-secret crush on Max, except Max doesn't know. And everyone, Felix included, thinks that Max is straight, including Max. Okay. <laughs> And when I was, th- so I, I read, wrote the first two of these books in uh, 2019, and then I took a long break, and then I wrote the next two that came out last uh, last summer. And a lot of people were like, I can't wait for Max and Felix's book. And I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? I always write myself these impossible things, and I'm like, now how am I going to figure this out? But basically, I decided to trap them in the house together. I gave Max a bad really? knee. He had to have knee surgery, and someone had to take care of him. And it was going to be Felix because they're very good friends. And um, so when I decided to give Max knee surgery, I interrogated my husband who had had knee surgery before we met. And I said, what are some of the things that were really difficult for you? And he's like, oh, man. He's like, showering was the worst. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I'm like, this is going to be. So I was like, at this point, Max has started thinking, you know, I think maybe I might not be as straight as I thought I was. I think I might be attracted to Felix. Felix is terrified because he's basically going to see Max naked for the first time. And this is not how we wanted that to ever happen. And he's afraid because he's like, this is ruining everything. I knew nothing was ever going to happen, but this is like really hard for me to deal with. And Max is terrified because he's like, this guy he thinks he might be attracted to, who he doesn't know is attracted to him, is going to see him naked for the first time. And it's like this really awkward scenario, and um, it was genuinely the most fun scene to write. It was a fun scene to read. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so much stuff going on, and like so much undercurrent that they're not saying to one another. Plus, every time anyone gets naked, like fit actually naked when they're not going to have sex, is like really fascinating to me. because there's like so much like vulnerability there. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I one of the things that I loved about the scene um was that you really dug deep into what happens when two friends are kind of like realize that they want to leave the friend zone. 
you know, and then you add the layer on top of it with Max having that confusion about like, well, wait, I thought I was straight. Like what's going on, you know? Right. And, and then, but there was still that, the conflict and confusion and concern that this other person isn't going to feel the same way. And you're about to like ruin the friendship. Right. Right. I, I was like, I, I was like, oh, this is so, I thought you handled that type of, I don't know, angst for lack of a better word so well in this scene and it came across like my stomach was clutching for the two of them (laughs) and then obviously like it ends pretty much as well as well or as badly as it possibly could oh poor (laughs) feel well because i mean through the through the scene and we'll you know we'll get into it for the listeners who are like i don't know what the hell she's talking about through the scene we really think it's going to be like max who's kind of like has that is the one that reveals his feelings because Max right. is the one with the busted up knee. Max is the one that has to get naked and get in the shower with Felix helping him, you know. And but then it ends up like you know that sort of phew. He's you know he he's not. I mean, for lack of a better word, out. Right. Phew, you know. It, it and then Felix is the one that actually ends up getting outed completely by accident. And it was it was funny and it was devastating and it was sweet. And it was like, oh, poor Felix, you know? Right. Well, and I was like, I had to find a way to kick off. I mean, they had to find a way to end the stalemate, right? Because right. They, neither of them were going to take a step toward the other one. So I was like, well, let's just shove them into like the most awkward scenario we possibly can. It was definitely the most awkward scenario you could possibly shove these two guys into. <laughs> I'm really mean. I'm like a really mean author. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I felt for Felix. I was like, oh my god, like what a way to find out, like the person that you're crushing on, who you also think is straight, or you're not sure, you know, and and he's a friend, and then you're like, anyway, we'll get into it. I, I was like, poor Felix. I wanted to give him a hug. <laughs> All right, here I'm gonna read a bit. Um, okay. Feel- Felix rolled his eyes, clean a guy's kitchen once, and he never lets you hear the end of it. What I want is for you to clean me, Max said, before he could think of just how that sounded. Felix flushed, and Max opened his mouth to correct his statement, but then he thought about it too, maybe the exact same way that Felix was thinking about it, and suddenly he was hot and cold all over. All that pale golden skin, wet and flushed and soapy, those blue eyes staring at him like Max was all he would ever need. Unexpectedly, every single molecule in Max's body craved to be just that, nothing more and definitely nothing less. I mean, Max said, taking a deep breath, I mean, I would like to be clean at some point today. Okay, so I really loved this moment. Like, is this the moment where Max is like realizing that he has an attraction to Felix and this is kind of like that aha moment for him? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think this is the first time he really thinks about him in like a really sexual way. And once that cat's out of the bag, there is no going back. And and of course, if it happens and he doesn't have time to recover from it because they're immediately going to go into the bathroom and he's going to have to take his clothes off. Um, 
so like I said, I'm a really mean author. I, I, I maximize the suffering as much as possible. <laughs> I probably skipped ahead a little bit too far because I, I, cause I just kind of loved the whole queen of kitchen once and I wanted to start with that. But there is like, you know, where well, a couple paragraphs before Mark came, Max came back to reality, back to the present in which he was almost sure he didn't have a secret long buried crush on his best friend's brother to find Felix standing over him, hands on hips, a frown on that stunning face, pillow creases and sleep crusties at all. I was like, oh, oh. Um, it was super awkward too between them. <laughs> yes. Or at least with Max in that moment that was really sweet. And and it's kind of like that kind of stutters throughout the whole the whole scene, which I, I really I really love. I I thought it was adorable. I was like, oh they're so cute. <laughs> I know it's not like the traditional sexy scene, but I was like thinking, I was like of all I was like, you know, I was like, technically someone gets off at the end of it. And I mean, I'm, I imply that Max does at some point, but like, I was like, you know, I think this is like, this is like the microcosm of like what I really enjoy writing is like, is like shoving two people together and then like forcibly stripping like their armor away and like what's going to happen after that. And, and so that's why I shared this particular one. Well, I think, and I think that that's actually a really great point and something like I keep saying that I loved about how awkward they are when we're confronted with intimacy, particularly for the first time, it's always awkward. Yeah. Right. I mean, nobody like tumbles into bed with like, you know, their hair perfect. You know what I mean? Like that, it just yeah. doesn't work like that. It's weird and uncomfortable and you don't know each other's bodies and you don't, you know, and, and, and you're afraid to make the first move, but the other person's afraid to make the first move. And so I think that that's, one of the things that I so appreciated that was going on was this sort of, you, you really embrace the awkward between these two and that made it so compelling and also really touching and, and really, I guess, um, relatable. That's the word I'm looking for. Totally relatable. Yeah. I, I have had people tell me that my, positive as an author that I write people that feel too real and that's also a drawback and I'm like well it is what it is at this point oh I don't see that as a drawback but okay <laughs> some people are like well it feels like you're like saying something about me like sometimes I get that from from a feedback from readers like oh I feel like you're you're making a judgment about me and I'm like well I really wasn't but okay <laughs> Oh, oh I mean, it's a it's a compliment. It, it's it's absolutely a compliment. Um, yeah. Whichever way you take it, um, because it's one of char my my romances are all character driven. So, um, you know, I want them to feel like they could step out of the page and talk to you the way that they talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, so so that that's I I can only take that as a compliment. But so thank you. <laughs> I made it so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now um, Max is going to get into the shower. Yes. Um, so, uh, and Felix is growing very impatient because, you know, he just wants to get this over with. So, yes. okay, and Max is like really not feeling like he wants to take his pants off at the moment because, well, well, we'll see. Okay, here we go. What? Felix demand testily. Is it usually so hard for you to take your clothes off? Do I need to turn around? The very last thing he could admit was that it wasn't hard at all, except suddenly it was right now with Felix. 
They couldn't have this conversation now. Max semi-hysterically thought that he didn't want to have this conversation at all. Felix finally threw up his hands and made a sound of epic frustration. I'm going to go get the plastic bag and a few rubber bands. You'd better be naked when I get back. Weakly, Max gave him a joking salute and let out a deep breath that he hadn't realized he was holding as soon as Felix disappeared. Without overthinking it, he quickly slid his shorts off, and thankfully it was chilly enough in the bathroom. All that tile and marble had seemed like a good idea at the time, but the truth was it was fucking cold. He didn't get hard at the prospect of Felix looking at his dick. He'd be back, of course, but at least Max had gotten over this without Felix staring as he did. And it wasn't like he was, it was a bad dick. It was a pretty nice dick. Max had gotten more than a few compliments on it. But suddenly the possibility of Felix seeing it made Max question the accuracy of those statements. Maybe those girls had been lying because he was a rock star. Maybe he had a terrible dick and he'd just never known differently because by the time he lost his virginity, he had already been most, most of the way to both rich and famous. Now, Max thought as he stared at his dick, he would never know if his money and success had bought a better dick than he really had. This was phenomenal. I was dying when I was reading this. Yeah. I I mean he is like he is a rock star. He's rich and famous. Women have been fawning over his dick and he's like, "Wow, maybe it's not that fabulous after all." <laughs> what if they were lying? I mean the self-doubt is extra I mean really. I mean the self-doubt that is pouring out of him is so I, again relatable and and just was fantastic and I think really again touched you know gave, gave this gave the scene a really great I don't know I, I, intimacy there we go intimacy I'll just sign out um but in a different way you know it's not like intimacy in terms of the two of them together in bed but it was just a really raw I think moment for him as funny as it was this was a, right. a really revere, revealing and raw moment that we see with Max I, I tend to approach humor not really like situationally, but like very much from an ironic point of view. And like that scene is like definitely a, a really good example of like the humor in my books. Like it's not usually like there's a whole slapsticky scene, but like there's so there's a lot of layers going on there, and that's usually how my humor works. And um, some people love that, some people don't. And I'm like, that's how it is at this point. Twenty two books in, this is kind of like. <laughs> This is Beth. <laughs> Ain't gonna change. Nope, 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 nope. And if you don't like to like have like an ironic chuckle like in the middle of the sex scene, then I'm also not the author for you. <laughs> Definitely not. All right, so we're gonna move away from poor Max because he's had enough. <laughs> but Max did make it into the shower, um, and Felix has left him there to his own devices so that he can get himself cleaned up, um, much to Max's relief. Um, and now we're we're off with Felix. Um, he couldn't count how many times he desperately wanted to see Max fully naked. He'd seen him without a shirt plenty of times and sometimes even without pants, just enough to make the, out the outline of his cock through the thin fabric of his boxer briefs. And if Felix was really lucky, a heart-stopping rear view, but totally naked, that hadn't ever happened before today. 
When Felix had walked into the bathroom to see Max on the bench, all those long, rangy muscles wrapped up in pale skin, a smattering of golden brown hair dotting his chest and down even lower, Felix thought he might have stopped breathing for a second. He'd never been attracted to anyone the way he was attracted to Max, and that didn't even take into consideration how much Felix had just plain fucking liked him. He was funny and kind and loyal, the kind of guy you'd always trust to have your back and would hate, <laughs> and who would make your mom laugh and be there for you if anything ever went wrong. It was for those re reasons that Felix had told himself that he needed to do this, even if it killed him. Shucking his sweatpants in his briefs, his rock-hard cock bobbing and slightly smacking his lower abs, Felix hissed. It was definitely going to kill him. Death through orgasm, the only unfortunate part of, of that the only unfortunate part of that was that they were going they were all going to be solitary orgasms this exchange reminded me of those moments in movies where two characters that are perfect for each other just keep missing each other by like seconds so like you know <laughs> one is going coming in the front door the other's going out the back door you know yes. and so we're all just waiting for fate to intervene Yes. While you were writing this, is that sort of like what were you? Is that kind of what you were going for? Because I, 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 those are some of my favorite scenarios to see in movies, but it's super hard to play out in a novel. I really like to toy with the idea of. I don't really write supernatural books at all, at all. Um, but I really like the idea of fate and how we're in the moment that fate needs us to be in even though it might not seem like that's the right moment at all, which is very much like this moment in that it's pretty much the worst possible scenario that Felix can imagine. This whole thing is the worst possible scenario that he can imagine, but he can't be anywhere else, and he knows that. Um, so he feels really stuck, and um, <clears throat> obviously Max is literally stuck because he just had knee surgery, so he's not going anywhere. Um, but I definitely wanted to, like, tried to give a nod to fate here because the chance of this happening the way it happened um, is extremely slim. And in, in previous books in this series, I've kind of given like a little hint here or there that like there have been other moments like this where they just missed each other. Uh, like Max cool. was not quite ready to see how Felix felt about him. And Felix was not ready to reveal anything that he felt because he thought it would ruin the friendship. It would ruin the relationship he has with the rest of the band. Um, and so he's, so, so neither of them are willing, even at this point to reveal their feelings for each other. So I was like, at some point fate's got to step in and say, you know, enough is enough. I'm kind of curious because this is essentially a coming out story for Max, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, how did, how did you end up handling that? as a writer? Um, I actually thought about this a lot. Um, I wanted him, so he's obviously been around um, a lot of queer people in the band specifically. And to him, it's like, I wanted it to not feel like the revelation isn't that he might not be straight. The revelation is that he has feelings for Felix. Um, he, he has no issue with um, his sexuality, and he's like, you know, whatever makes me feel good, I'm fine with. Um, so it, it very much is a non-issue, which is actually a very deliberate choice that I made because I, I kind of get, I kind of get, I mean, I, I've written this book too, so I can't really like rag on it too much, but uh, I, I kind of get tired of the whole like, oh, I might not be straight, like whole big angst thing. I, I just like, I kind of am like, you know, 
there's a time and a place for that. That's great. I was like, I'm kind of tired of writing it. I'm kind of tired of reading it. I'm like, I want to write about somebody that's just like, hey, cool, I'm gay. Hey, cool, I'm bi. And so that's really how Max approaches it is like he's grown up so much around it that to him it's like, okay, this is just something I didn't know about me. That's fine. But like this thing with Felix, that's freaking blowing my mind apart. So I feel I I kind of feel like particularly with like Jen. What, where are we gen z gen what where are we with the generations gen z are they the new ones i don't ones? even know <laughs> i don't even know either <laughs> but with the with the kids coming up these days i think they're gen z um the the ones after millennials um i i kind of feel like there is a little bit of that i mean again it, it it's all dependent on the situation you know right. who the parents are what community they're raised in but there does seem to be a little bit more of a relaxed feeling around around you know not being straight like just a much more relaxed approach to it and a relaxed approach to sexuality and saying I can be fluid I can be gay I can be straight like there it just seems like a little bit more comfortable in the embodiment of that I think so I think the other thing too is is a lot of it comes down to education um like when I was growing up you know I was growing up in the suburbs and, and what's you know, fairly a a liberal city in in Portland, but we were in the suburbs and I was in, you know, a fairly standard middle-class home. And, you know, we never talked about bisexuality. That was not something that was even mentioned. Like I didn't even really know what it was until I got to college. And it never occurred to me that that's what those feelings were. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I was just never, I was just, I mean, I, I thought to myself, well, I like guys. And so I must be straight. Right. Like that was that was an easy, easy um, connection to make. And and I think that, that, you know, the great thing is, is that there's so many more uh, ways that kids can educate themselves these days on like, you know, how many different kinds of sexualities there are. And, you know, the information is so much more readily available. People are much more willing to share it. Parents are much more willing to talk about it at home with their kids. And, and I think it makes a huge difference, you know. I think that that that's that there is an opening up and a and a decloseting, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Of, of that, sexuality in general, and I think that that's made a huge difference. Yeah, because I I do think I find it like really refreshing that like it's a coming out story, but it's not that coming out story. It's somebody just saying, "Oh, okay, I'm you know I'm gay or I'm bi." I, I guess right. in Max's case, you know, and I'm in love with this man right now, and you know, he's my happily ever after. And I'm, okay, let's go. Yeah. And and, and Felix is really shocked because he keeps expecting Max, Max to have this big gay freak out. And it just <laughs> doesn't happen. And like, Max, and Felix is like terrified because he's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And like, they could go out to, to on this date and, and they're like in this restaurant and like, Felix is like, are you worried what people are going to think? And Max is like, no. Like, he doesn't care. It's not like he'll be the first person in his band to come out because it's like everybody else has. So it's like right. he's the only one left. Right. Um, and, and he just really doesn't care what other people think. I think I think if you grow up in a situation that they did, which is that, you know, they basically got discovered when they were 16 years old and became famous very quickly after that. Um, I think you have to somewhat learn to discard what other people think of you or you go insane. Right. And so he, he has fairly early on but Felix has been in a different situation because he's been just kind of 
next to the band but not part of the band and he hasn't had that really shiny bright shining light of popularity on him and so he still thinks that oh crap like this is going to be the moment when max freaks out so he he (laughs) kind of has this like this like breathless feeling to him like the whole book like he's really afraid that that's going to be the moment that max freaks out and of course to everyone's shock max never freaks out at all and it's fine um but yeah that's Felix definitely thinks it's going to be that kind of coming out story. (laughs) Okay, let's see how Felix is faring here. Hold on. Okay, he usually needed to to at least cup his own dick, coaxing himself the last little bit of the way to orgasm. But with the way the pleasure was sizzling through him, fierce and alive, Felix knew it wouldn't even be necessary. He thrust the vibrator in and out a few times, feeling himself begin to flex around it. Finally, he shoved it the rest of the way in and let it rest directly against where he was most sensitive, and that was all it took. He shook and shuddered through an orgasm, but he couldn't. He wouldn't soon forget. It felt like he'd been emptied out and remade with the drugging pleasure. Fumbling for the button, he turned it off and collapsed onto the bed. He was aware of two things, almost at the exact same time. One, he was amazingly, miraculously, still horny, even after that orgasm where he'd basically come his brains out. Two, impossibly, the door had come open, and even worse, there was a figure in the doorway. Max's expression was surprised, maybe, but he didn't look disgusted. He looked interested. He looked intrigued. Okay, I'm going to pause here. Fate just intervened! (laughs) Fate says, we've had enough of this. Finally! Okay, (laughs) so here's the thing. I have no idea how men have sex. Two men have sex. So how do you make these moments authentic? Well, you know, some people, I I hear a lot of authors say, oh, I watch a lot of porn. I don't watch any porn. Um, I don't know. I've done a little bit of research. I guess I've read a lot of books. I don't know. I've never had anyone tell me it doesn't feel authentic. So I guess I'm going in the right direction. Whatever you're doing is the right thing. (laughs) I mean, I wish there was like some magic answer, but like, I mean... I kind of am just sort of feeling my way, and I've never had anyone complain. Uh, the other thing that probably not a lot of people realize is that, like, I've seen a lot of figures, but, like, 80 to 90% of gay romance uh, readers are actually uh, straight females. Uh, I was so- going to, yeah, that was actually my next question was, like, you know, who are you writing this for? Who Who reads this? Because I had heard that it's mostly women that read uh, MM romance, that it's like a huge, a huge, more, more women read it than men. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have, I have definitely gay romance fans or yeah, men that are gay that are fans of mine. Um, I have some that send me really nice emails. They're wonderful guys. I love them to death. Um, So, I mean, obviously I think if I was getting it really wrong, they would be like, Hey, by the way, um, you just, you should do this differently. But I mean, I think, I mean, it was really intimidating at first, but then, you know, I was like, you know, really, I mean, other than some small education issues, like there should always be lube, always, I don't care yeah. if you're in the desert, there should be lube, always. <laughs> like, that's the one thing you can do <laughs> that really pisses readers off. Um, that also pisses me off, because like, if you take me out of the scene and I have to think, okay, well, how is that going to work? Or, 
kind of actually sounds like that would hurt. Like, yeah, that's yeah, not I mean, usually, that's painful. Like, the, yeah, right. The reaction you want. Yeah. Um. So. Um, that's a UTI I, waiting to happen. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I kind of other than that, I kind of am like you know, I I write whatever I feel like works for the characters and for for the scene. Um. But yeah, that's. That's that's all the research I've ever really done, which is probably an unpopular answer, but that's the truth. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I have to finish this whole thing because I really love the the ending, the last bit. So bear with me. And Felix suddenly knew a third thing: he was never ever going to be able to live this down. If they were doing a search for the most embarrassing thing that had ever happened to anyone ever, it was definitely going to be this moment right here. Sorry, Max stuttered, clearly aware that Felix had seen him. Their eyes had met. It was impossible to deny it, even as Felix's stomach, stomach lurched sickeningly. Things were coming back to him in fits and starts. He definitely said Max's name. Maybe he'd said it before Max had arrived, but probably not. Not with the way Felix's day was going. What? Snor Felix snarled. He had he, he just had the world's best orgasm, and already that pleasure had faded, leaving him terrified and irritable. Had he fucked up everything forever? What are you even doing here? You shouldn't be here. That was why he hadn't locked the door. He'd assumed naturally, and with just cause, that Max wouldn't be hobbling anywhere with his crutches. Not anytime soon, anyway. I wanted to know if you wanted, if you wanted me to order lunch. Felix slipped the vibrator out and yanked the sheet up. I forgot, like, the vibrator is still in him. Though he guessed... I'm so mean. I'm so mean. You are mean. <laughs> Though he guessed it was only fair that, that now Max had seen him at his most vulnerable, too. You wanted to know about lunch. He knew his tone was increasingly hysterical, rising in volume an octave. But who could really blame him? I'll, I'll talk to you in the living room. In a bit, when you're ready. Max shut the door before Felix could answer. He heard him begin to carefully clump his way down the hallway, and Felix scrubbed his clean hand across his face. He couldn't believe he'd just been outed over fucking lunch. Oh my God, poor Felix. <laughs> it was at this point where I was like, oh, I just want to hug the poor guy. I mean, and I was like, how much longer until they figure it all out? Um, this is actually pretty early. Um, I figured it was. Yeah, this is like, this is like in the first 20% of the book, if not like the first 15%. So this is like the event that kicks everything off. And of course, after this, Felix basically uh, wants to forget that it ever happened. And Max, of course, doesn't want to forget that it ever happened. And um, suggests that you know, if they're sexually compatible, it would be a good idea to, to see what would happen. And Felix is like, that's a terrible idea, but of course you can't resist. Um, so, so really that's, this is the incident that kicks off the entire book. You know, it's really funny because I was really feeling for Max through his whole sort of like being in his head and those moments with him. And I was like, oh, poor Matt. Like he just like, he's got these feelings for this guy and he's kind of like, unsure and he's like you know and these are new and and I was like oh poor guy poor guy and then you get to Felix and I was like yeah Max sit down like I feel bad for Felix <laughs> like Max just go over there and sit down <laughs> because Felix is really being tormented by this right 
Well, and I mean, he doesn't know it's going to turn out really well. So I know, I know. So what, so in terms of the conflict through the entire book, I'm guessing this is like Felix is sort of like, he's waiting for that other shoe to drop moment, like through the book, like he keeps waiting for Max to have that freak out. Is that what builds the conflict? Yes. So that's part of what builds the conflict. Um, uh, So, so they, they continue as they are. And like, Felix keeps waiting for like, what's going to happen here. Something's going to break down. And um, <clears throat> Max is just continuing like, this is really great. We should do this all the time. And I mean, his court of his kind of like, I wouldn't say a blase attitude, but like his attitude, like this is totally normal, like completely throws Felix. Like he can't handle it. And um, there's some other drama that happens in this book. Um, uh, a guy comes and visits that's like a protege of Max's, like a musician. And, um, of course he, he kind of clumps in, we'll call it fate again in like the worst possible moment. And he kind of like pushes Felix's buttons. And then Felix ends up basically like, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back and he freaks out and he runs away. And, um, then there's some other drama that's like band drama that kind of brings them back together and they have to kind of confront, like, what is it that they're actually doing here? Um, is it serious? Are they just goofing around? Um, so, so that's kind of, that is basically the conflict is, is that Felix does keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and Max doesn't really understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I loved I I love the scene and thank you for sending it to me. And I do think it was the perfect scene in terms of, you know, looking at intimacy um, and those intimate moments, because um, I think it shows it really, really well in, in a, in a slightly different way, but I think, you know, in a way that is actually more compelling than just sort of like handing over a sex scene. So I think that's the right Thank you. I'm glad. I was like trying to, I mean, I had more like traditional ones I could have shared, but I was like, you know, at this one, I like, I have a couple that I remember very, very fondly. Um, This is one of them. Well, you know, and it's so funny because the stuff that I was, like, I, I honestly kind of like felt bad that I wasn't pulling out like, the the sex parts really you know um because there were moments where you kind of you know you really went for it and um and we have this whole lead up into Felix's masturbation and you know and and I didn't it was stuff that I was like okay like there it is there's the sex scene but it was it that wasn't the real intimate moment the intimate moment was their exchanges and um you know, and how they felt about those exchanges and the awkwardness and the discomfort that was going on between them because there was, you know, a fear and a will they or won't, that you know, will he or won't he? And anyway, I just, I thought it was really great and it was so fun to read. It was, it was super fun to read. So thank, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad it worked out. Totally. So Beth, where can people find you on the internet? So um, I'm really active on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, I'm mainly in my readers group, which you can find by searching for Beth's Boldest, um, B-O-L-D-E-S-T. I'm really active there. I post pretty much every day, lots of different stuff, random memes and book teasers and all the announcements go there. And I'm also on Instagram a lot, uh, Beth Bolden Author. So those are two probably the best places to find me. You can also look at my website, which is uh, bestbolden.com. And it's got all, all my books on there and links to all my books. 
And I will have um, all of this in the show notes for anyone who's driving or doing otherwise engaged in other things and, you know, multitasking um, so that you don't need to worry about writing it down. Beth, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being my first. I was happy to pop your cherry. <laughs> Usually I'm the one saying that. So I'm glad that you said it. Thank you. Well, we kind of, it was like a mutual cherry popping because I had never been on a podcast before. So this, this worked out really well. I'm so, so grateful that I could be on here and talk about my books and the random bizarre ways that my characters do stuff. Well, it was super cool to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Well, thanks again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.